0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is
1: Believe. Fred Funk from long distance somehow gets it to go. We can't believe it. The hat and the glasses come off. Fred Funk with the birdie at 16. Welcome to Terps on the T, ladies and gentlemen. Chick Hernandez and the Hawk, Fred Funk, who is in Biloxi, Mississippi. Uh... What are you doing in Biloxi, Mississippi, by the way? Oh, I see you got the hat on. Oh, see that see, see you now the folks who are listening to this has no idea. He's trying to hide a haircut. You don't have to hide a haircut because we're not on we're not on the on video. <laughs> no. <But> you're
2: funny. <laughs> I, I know, I feel better about it.
1: That's good. I've as long as you feel good hair. about it.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm all right.
1: Uh, so, coming off of last week, uh, and by the way, uh, Hall of Fame pitcher John Smoltz is going to join us shortly, uh, which is outstanding. You saw him using the blocks. In fact, matter of fact, as I'm mentioning him right now, I hear the, the dulcet tones of the uh, the ding. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, as John Smoltz now gets himself set, Johnny, can you hear us? Yep, gotcha. All right, so we are we are on the Turps right. <laughs> <laughs> on the T podcast. Uh two Terps, two Maryland guys talking with Hall of Fame pitcher John Smoltz. Uh belated happy birthday, by the way. Uh just Thank turned you. fifty-four, which she looks really good for fifty-four. You. I look good for seventy. Uh and Fred, I'm not sure what you what you look
2: like. Yeah, no, I don't um, know what yeah. I, um never mind. We won't go there. Okay. Good. I saw John in the locker room last weekend and uh we were leaving Sunday, and he's such a great guy. He's been a great addition to our tour when he gets in the tournament. He, he just brings a lot of attention to it, and, and he's such a great guy, and I thought he'd just be great on this podcast. So I kind of hit him at the last moment, and he said, nice. yeah, I'm in. So, John, thank you. My pleasure.
1: So, John, you know, we'll get into baseball, uh, obviously, a little bit, but, you know, with their Hall of Fame career. But So you go from, from high-level baseball to going – uh, and playing on this tour and playing against pros, you did a PGA and, and PGA tour champions, you've played against them all. I mean, why would you want to put yourself through that mental anguish?
0: <laughs> well, you know, much like everything I did in uh, my baseball career had to learn the hard way. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I was self-taught baseball player, grew up in a musician's home and developed this talent. baseball that came from pretty much nowhere i mean my parents don't know anything or didn't know anything about sports (laughs) and i always dreamt of of playing baseball and, and just pursued it so along the same lines i never played golf till i was i don't know 21 years old first year in pro ball and i fell in love with the game that i never liked didn't think it was a sport i would like because i had so much time on my hands at baseball i figured I got to do something to, comp- to, to, to to fill the time. I picked up golf and fishing. And golf just, I mean, no pun intended from a fishing line. I mean, I was hooked. And and it saved my baseball career to the point where I played 21 years because of golf. And it, it, because you go crazy in, in our game, you watch, what, 125 games a year and you pitch the rest. So when a golf, um, you know, it was the competition. I knew I could play it the longest. Meaning, baseball had an exp- expiration date. Golf, <laughs> hopefully, um, well into my seventies, I'll be able to play. And I just, I wanted, I wanted to play as much as I possibly could. And there's no way to find anything else out about your game till you play in tournaments. So the Celebrity Tour, obviously, is pretty cool. And I enjoy that. But then, when I qualified for the the Open, yeah. I've said it. It's the greatest
1: accomplishment I've ever had in my life. Uh, that's you know, am- fascinating. Well, go ahead, Chick. I would say that's just a, that's amazing that you just – that sentence right there, that's the most amazing accomplishment of your life, considering what you've done in baseball. But go ahead, Fred.
2: Well, I'm just saying it's always fascinating to hear the background of uh, growing up, what the parents did. He, no athletic background at all as far as the parents or anybody else. And then he turns into a Hall of Fame pitcher and then – and then just what you just said, as so you kind of blow your doors off when you say, hey, the most accomplished thing I've ever did. It says a lot about your love for the game. Again, I didn't
0: really have the appreciation and understand. My first time I went and played golf on the road, uh, one of the big leaguers took me out there. Uh, Rick Mailer and, and Jerry Royster took me on the road, and I'd never played anything remotely like private. And so my second time I ever played on the road was San Francisco Golf Club. <laughs> Now, I didn't know anything about wow. it. I didn't know the I didn't know the history. I didn't know anything about how incredibly a tough it was to get on and, <laughs> and just the history behind it. And on the first tee, not, nobody knew this. I, I kind of a jokester, so I put a, a exploding golf ball in the first tee, and were, the caddies were all out. and The pro was out watching, and, and I I I hit the ball, and the ball exploded, and I thought it was funny, and um, I think Rick Mailer at the time fainted and jerry royster was just couldn't believe what had happened and and that was my introduction to golf i was was very fortunate to play it again because i didn't know uh what i didn't know until i found out
1: my gosh um another private (laughs) course that you played uh is augusta national golf club can you tell us a story of almost kind of sneak, not sneaking out, but you know, you got to get permission to go play with a guy named Tiger Woods at Augusta national. Yeah,
0: no, I, I played for the greatest manager in the world. So I state state that with Bobby Cox and he understood that we, as baseball players, were going to accomplish our, our job first. We weren't going to just, we were known for playing a lot of golf and, and nobody played more than I did, but But he also realized that, you know, that was my personality and I enjoyed getting away from the game. But when it came to being prepared for the game, I I was as prepared as anybody. And so this particular spring training on a Friday afternoon, Tiger called and asked, you know, what are you doing on Sunday? And I said, you know, I thought we were going to go play Iowa or something. And I was like, well, you know, I've got spring training every day. Um, He goes, well, you know, wheels up in the morning. I'll have you back by 3 p.m. This is like two and a half, three weeks before the the actual masters, oh boy. and and I'm going, oh, you're killing me, like really. We're gonna play Sunday with all Sunday pins, oh. and I said, give me give me a day, and I, I, I'll find out. So I go into the clubhouse the next day, and I'm kind of making sure nobody made Bobby mad, <laughs> and I, I I finally went in and I just said, Bobby, I completely understand if you <laughs> say no, but I I would really really hate myself for not asking. But here's the deal. I got a light day Sunday. Tigers offered to fly me up. He held me back by three, going to play the Masters. And, uh, you know, there it is. And he goes, Smolsey. He said, I'll see you Monday. Oh. And, I mean, look, I've gotten a chance to do a lot of great things. But that right there was something I never dreamt I'd be able to do in that time frame. And nobody found out. And the team didn't have an issue with it. And, you know, it was it was perfectly planned. But Bobby had enough um, cachet, if you will, and, and and confidence in himself that he wasn't going to catch a lot of grief if somebody did find out. But I'm glad to say I can tell that story now, but <laughs> I didn't tell it for a long time.
2: So, so what happened that day on the golf course?
0: So the story gets even better because I'm so excited about going. I had played, to, um, you know, Augusta before. It wasn't that playing that was – biggest deal it was actually playing with tiger on sunday at sunday pins Mm. and he showed you know texting me where to show up and i couldn't get there on time i i I was i kept making this loop this wrong turn i couldn't find the fbo and my gas tanks on empty and i'm thinking oh what a what a way to go and miss an opportunity i get there 30 minutes or 20 minutes late we land we get to the course and because i was late Uh, we couldn't hit any balls. We went right to the first tee. So I went to the first tee and, um, you know, no practice swings or nothing. I hit it right down the middle. Tiger hit it in the bunker on the right. And we're walking down the first fairway and he goes, you know, this might be your day. And I said, yes, I think it is. This is going to be my day. And I made six in the middle of the fairway. He made four. He shot 66. I shot 76. I've never seen a golf course look so uh, small in my life than seeing it that that day, what, 15 years ago uh, when we played that round.
1: That, that's amazing. Um, and, and I bet you can recall every shot. Um, you know, I, as I said, uh, I talked to you a little bit earlier, but, um, you know, Fred's played in 12 Masters. You have played Augusta National. And as a local guy in Augusta, I got a chance to play the course three times. And I'm going to tell you right now, the last time I played it, walking up 18, I had lump in throat. I knew that I was not coming back because I didn't have friends that could get me on the course. Um, And I just said, this is it. I'm getting ready to go to DC to go be a sportscaster there. I got no chance coming back and I got, I just welled up inside and to go back several times now and and see the course and how it's changed. uh, It's phenomenal. Um, So that's a pretty cool little story to have. And obviously you've taken to the game of golf, uh, you know, in a, in a fanatical way can we say that i mean you love the game um and as yeah. we all do uh what do you get out of it now
0: uh well if you ask my wife it'd be more frustration because i'm real hard on myself uh i want to play that's three of
1: us yeah that's...
0: i i want to i want <laughs> to play extremely well and and maybe i'm 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 kidding myself. And sometimes, you know, my job is most important to me as, as a broadcaster in baseball, I'm afforded because of my schedule with MLB network and Fox, they given me opportunities to play in these events and in a perfect world, you know, I keep showing up thinking that this will be the week, but the lead ins don't really work. Um, you know, and I try my best to practice and get the things that I want to get done, but I I've never found out more about my golf game than when I, qualified for the the, U uh, S open, it exposed everything. Mm. And, you know, for some people, it would have probably closed a lot of doors and never wanted to do anything again. And just like this past weekend, you know, I probably played the worst golf I've ever played in my life. And it was in my you know, in, in Atlanta and as upset or frustrating as I get, I know that there's still more work to be done. So, um, I, I the competitive juices is it's really all I have left. You know, calling a World Series is phenomenal and it's second to playing in it. And I played in a bunch. But if you're going to, if you're, if I'm going to get to the best level that I can get in, obviously I will, you know, dedicate more time if I could. Yeah. But in the meantime, I'm, I'm learning something every time I play. And, and maybe I put too much pressure on myself to want to do well. Um, and and need to pull back the reins a little bit. But, um, you know, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to do it. And I understand how awesome of an opportunity this is. The tour has been phenomenal. The guys on the tour have all been incredible. And and I understand my place. And it's uh, simply a a better way for people at home to appreciate how good these guys are. Because you know this exists. People sit at home and go – whether it's oh I could have broke 90 or I could have <laughs> broke 85 or I could have done that and I'm telling people everyone who's a 2 or below at the Broadmoor I would bet my paychecks that no scratch golfer could have shot um broke 80 like it was that hard and you know it's just a it's a it's an incredible experience I'll never forget to get to play and I I get I do. I I become a better player being around better players and, but like anything else, when you lose mechanics and you lose, you get a little bit away from the game, you start losing confidence. And so uh, it's just, I guess I'm addicted to
2: it. Well, you were talking in the locker room, you got a couple little things that are nagging at you too right now, which are uh, always hard to deal with, whether it's, uh, you know, dealing with pitching or playing golf, especially. And, um, you know, you got to get past that. You see this window of opportunity to go take advantage of a sponsor exemption, get in there, play with the guys. It's what you love to do, and yet, you know, you're hurt. And, uh, you know, you just can't play your best. And and Atlanta, that's grids were so firm and fast. And uh, the scores overall were pretty high. I was really surprised Dickie Pride separated himself on Sunday like he did. But uh, it was a tough golf course.
0: It was, and I made a mistake because of Pride. Um, I tried walking <laughs> when they, when they give me a cart, um, I probably should have taken the cart, but I tried walking and, uh, and that was a tough, tough, uh, that was a tough walk. Yeah. And that, that's one of the things that, you know, I'm trying to get back to getting in better shape, which I just haven't been able to, you know, I don't know, four, 35 days ago, I did get COVID and, uh, I, you know, I, I got through it. But it was—it uh, took its toll on uh, about two weeks of of definitely uh, low energy and not working out, and then go right back into work. So uh, I'm 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 looking. I already got to schedule things that I'm looking forward to. I'm going to get an opportunity to play in Iowa. I have heard nothing but incredible, incredible things about Iowa. So uh, I'm ready to pedal back on the bike. I'm ready to get back on and uh, and improve my game.
1: Is there a bucket list course you still want to play?
0: Uh, yeah, I would say not particularly in any order. I had scheduled with Maddox, Glavin and Greg Olson. Wow. We were going over to Scotland Yeah, and, um, I'd never played golf over there. Um, and I, I, again, from someone who didn't appreciate golf to really, really appreciate golf, I think that would become full circle. If I get a chance to go over there and play some courses, um, and so we'll see when that re- reunion true tour comes back, but COVID, you know, took that sure. away.
1: I will tell you this. I went to Scotland a couple of years ago. It's the greatest golf trip of my life. If you want any places to go or, or to stay McDonald Rusacks hotel, right off of, uh, 18 at the old course is spectacular and it's going to be chilly. So the drink of choice is hot chocolate and whiskey. It goes right into your bones, <laughs> warms you right up, and gets you started for the day. It's a breakfast drink, really, yeah. but it's a spec- yeah, spectacular drink.
2: Hey, hey, John, I remember asking you in the locker room what it was like to be part of the big three with Glavin, Maddox, and you. And uh, you told some pretty good stories, but uh, that had to be a fun, fun time when you guys were just rocking and rolling through the, uh, just dominating the pitching in the major leagues with the three of you. And, and, um, that, that was something to watch.
0: Yeah, it was a lot of fun. You know, Glavin, I was first there and I got called up after shortly after getting traded to Atlanta and then we, we acquired Greg Maddox. And one of the things that I can tell you that we all were able to, with our personalities, uh, set aside any pride or any kind of uh, ego because that was going to be, you would have been embarrassed to think if you want to be the guy, the next guy comes in and next night he throws a gem. So we all got along. I kind of was the golf ringleader. I set everything up. And Maddox always was able to teach him to have fun away from the game because he pitched at such a high level. And so did Glav that I was with the two best right and left-handed pitchers in the National League on, a, on an everyday basis. And, and then, you know, I was fine with the, where I was. And then the postseason allowed me to kind of, d- kind of shine a little bit when, when needed the most, but we had a blast. And we think about going back and the time we spent in a golf cart, mm. in a rent, a car, in a clubhouse, we sharpened each other in ways that, you know, you'll be forever grateful, 10 years together. They're never going to happen again in baseball now with the economics and the way the guys are uh, in moving around. And so, from a standpoint of, of the, the blast that we had, each year we had to live up to highest expectations. So we didn't really take time to talk about goals, what we wanted to accomplish. We just literally didn't speak about it, but it was almost as if we're going to each day one-up each other in a, in a friendly competition mm. of, of something that would help the team, of course. And we had a front row seat to some some of the greatest games ever pitched and we had fun in the hitting competition. We had fun in golf. We had fun playing cards, um, but we never took anything so seriously that it got in the way of what our real job was. And that was to, to get hitters out. So uh, we knew it wouldn't last forever, but um, you know, I was the one that stayed lo- the longest, which I can't believe. Um, glad I ended up going to the Mets. And then, you know, I was there 20 years uh, with Atlanta, I ended up being the closer for a period of time, which I never thought would happen. And, I um, I just know that our careers were pitched in the right era. We would have never been Hall of Famers if we weren't given the opportunity to pitch through some of our failures and go through it all, and we pitched at the perfect time to allow us to develop into the pitchers we became.
2: What was the difference between the three of you as far as uh, the pitches and the way you pitched? Yeah,
0: the biggest thing um, for Maddox, I've never seen anybody so mechanically sound. I've never seen a guy be able to read what someone is trying to do against him instantaneously. So he would throw a pitch, and he could tell what the hitter was trying to do immediately. So for me and other people, we'd have to watch video. Glavin was the stoic one, never let anybody know anything was going on. You didn't know if he was hurt. He was perfect. You didn't know anything, which was great for him. And he always kept himself in the game. And he had this incredible change-up that hitters just couldn't see. He didn't throw extremely hard. He didn't have a lot of pitches that wowed you, but his his mindset and his work ethic all worked together for him to win over three hundred games. I was the guy with all the expectation. I was supposed to win twenty every year. You know they put a lot of expectation on me from afar, and I had a lot on my own, so I, I had a hard time enjoying my years because I called. You know I had a whip. I whipped myself pretty hard, and. And when it came out, it came out in the postseason because that's what I always dreamed of doing. I always wanted to be the guy on the mound. And so I had all the stuff, so to speak, but they had all the ability to learn how to pitch and move the ball around. And through their examples and watching them, I became a more complete pitcher. So I was known as a fastball slider and I had a split. They were basically fastball movement and changeups. And so they messed with the timing of the hitter quite often. And the hitter used to come back frustrated. Like, I can't believe I didn't hit this guy. Whereas when people faced me right from the beginning, they knew that they were going to see velocity and stuff. So it was almost like comfortable bats against Glavin and Maddox go 0 for four, one for four, uncomfortable at bats against me. And they were more on to knowing that I was going to come after him. So, um, that's really the, the main the main difference between the three of us. Glavin stoic, Maddox more professor like, thinking like a someone to a chess, you know, he was always a chess player. And I was the goofy guy on the mound that <laughs> let my uh the, the my emotions just I, I just pitched with an emotion and and, and, and um kind of hair on fire, if you will. And I I got after it pretty hard every time I was on the mound.
1: Toughest batter you faced Annually,
0: uh, that was be Tony Gwynn. Yeah, uh, Tony Gwynn was uh, you know, Tony Gwynn was the modern day greatest hitter that we ever faced. Um, Albert Pujols is the greatest right hand hitter I've ever seen at the time and of his peak. The first ten years in St. Louis, nobody will ever come up with those numbers again. Even Mike Trout, Mike Trout might end up having a better career, but those first ten years, Albert Pujols is unbelievable. So to give you kind of, kind of like a snapshot of of Tony Gwynn. Well, let's say we faced him a combined 280 times, whatever it was, over 200 times between my, the three of us. It was a lot. Mm-hmm. And we, we struck him out three times. What? And the, wow. Yeah, and the three of us have struck, over, struck out over 9,000 batters in our career. So, Tony Gwynn, oh. to give you a snapshot of the different eras, I think he had years where he struck out less than 15 times on the year. Yeah. And uh, I got him once. Glavin got him twice. Maddox never struck him out. He hit – Four forty-four off of me, and that's like thirty-eight for sixty. So whatever that number sure. is, he owned me, and um, he was just the best.
2: Well, wow. I didn't know that you were as pitchers till you just said something. That batter always thought the batter are at the pitchers, so it's a two-way street.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're always looking for signs of what the hitter's given away. And if he's going to give away anything away based on the way that he sees your pitches, that is a huge advantage. Once you, once you see it, like they said, I would have to see it sometimes in watching rewatching video. And the best way I can explain it is if, if a guy's pulling off your fastball or, or pulling your fastball foul, then you want to slow him down. If he's, he's barely hitting your fastball, and you want to speed him up, like, you don't want to give him, you don't want to feed into what he, he's, a hitter will always tell you what he can't do if you pay attention. The problem is sometimes you just don't see it, and you go by scouting reports, and sometimes the the guy might be off that day, and his bat speed's slower, and you're feeding his bat speed with a slower pitch, and it took me a while to learn that. Once I learned it, it, it felt like a door had opened up in my career that, you know, Maddox had shown me, ways to, to see it and we'd always talk on the bench and, and the one thing that's amazing about Greg he didn't do this he did he did this more often than not he would be sitting in the dugout and let's say Glavin was pitching and he said heads up they like what do you mean heads up he says if he goes inside right here he's going to follow this ball over our dugout sure enough went inside followed it off almost in our oh. dugout and he would do that a lot and so The more I I sat around him, the more I couldn't help but pay attention to some of the things he was seeing and some of the things that made him special that I started integrating, um, even though we were not even close to the same pitchers. I started picking up things from them. And, you know, like I said, we all made each other a little bit better.
1: I'm talking with the Hall of Fame pitcher, John Smoltz, eight time All Star, Cy Young Award winner, uh, who won the MVP in the 1992 NLCS. And I bring this up because of this. This is why... John will never remember my face, but we did meet during 1992, Fred. And we talked about a little bit about this when you said you're going to be Smoltz on. So, 1992, game seven against the Pirates. And the media is ushered down at the end of a game to the behind the right field wall. John, remember that wall back there? And there was a window that was about six feet up. I'm five, six. So I can't watch the game. I've got to jump up to see the pitches when they're taking place, because we're now down to the nub of it. And it's a, you know, the the Braves have come back. They were down two zero in the bottom of the ninth. They score two runs. Stan Belinda's on the mound. And I am jumping up to see each pitch. And I, I'm I'm in a full suit. Okay, I'm I got I got my I got my equipment. I'm you know I'm got dress shoes on. I'm trying to jump up and time it so I can see when he's releasing the ball. And I'm always off. So I jump up and I see he's in the stretch. So I just said screw this. I'm just going to s- stay down. And all of a sudden I hear click, and the crowd starts to cheer. And I just turn to the right field to watch the fans. First of the cheer, and then there's like a silence because they're waiting to see what's happening as Sid Breen with a piano on his back is rounding third, trying to get to home. And I jump up to see him come around third, and then I just, I wait, and I look up, and then it's just white noise. Because he scored the game-winning run, they're going to the World Series, the wall opens up, we start running out on the field, and the next thing I know, I don't know how you had champagne already there, but Otis Nixon turned around and just sprayed me. And I looked at like, dude, what are you doing? And I realized he's a little bit, he's lost his mind. It's okay. They're going to the world <laughs> series. And I went in, we went, you know, and then you go into that, to that, to that locker room and it's, you know, there's, everything's uh, got plastic on it. You're spraying everybody. And I did a live shot afterwards for WRDW and Augusta. I did a live shot with the young Brian Hunter who had a pretty good series and the lemmer Mark Lemke. And yeah. I literally just before we went live, I took, I said, can I see your goggles, uh, Mark? And he took them off and I put them on for the live shot. And I proceeded to say here with Brian Hunter and Mark Lemke and Mark, I don't know how you can see with these things because I can't. And he said, I can't see you right now. Can I have him back? I was like, yeah, sure you can. And we did a live <laughs> shot. But uh, now at the beginning of your run, of the organization's run, yeah. which was just a phenomenal run. I mean, and, and that night alone must have been just absolute bedlam.
0: Well, it, it, it truly was. And, you know, as a kid growing up, um, I pitched all those games in my mind right. against a brick wall. I talked about the story all the time. And and when I got to those moments of real-life baseball, I felt the same that it did when I was a kid. And I put myself in all the, the toughest situations, make all the big pitches, pitch all the seventh games. And that particular series you're talking about, was about as frustrating as it got for us because we were up three games yes, in one. Were. And I was getting ready to pitch game one of the World Series. And lo and behold, I ended up having to pitch game seven of that series. And the ir- irony behind all of it, 91, I pitched game seven against Pittsburgh on a road, gave up no runs, went nine innings. In, nine, in game seven against Minnesota, I gave up no runs. We didn't win that game. We lost one to nothing. And here's my third game seven in two-year span. It's just something you can't make up, and you're thinking, uh, you know, well, I gave up the only two runs I gave up in three games, and we were going to lose that Gosh. game. I can tell you this story. I was sitting in the farthest part of the clubhouse pouting like a baby because I was so mad we were about to lose. And I couldn't believe that we were up 3-1, and now we're going to lose. It's 2 to nothing. When that hit was happened, I got up. I sprinted. It's at least 300, 400 yards. I had no idea what happened when I ran onto the field. <laughs> All I know is everybody was dogpiling. I didn't know how close the play was. All I know is Francisco Cabrera got that hit, and I started running. When I got to the field, luckily he was safe, and we won that game. And, of course, you know, we went back to the World Series. But it was, it was, it was the most euphoric feeling in the world when you're basically dead in the water and you come up and and win that game. It was pretty incredible.
2: That's fantastic. Wow, what a story. Uh, we did when we're back to golf for a second. What's your favorite golf course that you played so far? And mine's Pebble Beach, and yeah. usually everybody says that one. But
0: yeah, you know it's 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 interesting. When we were playing, we played luckily um, somewhere in the neighborhood of seventy to seventy-five of the top one hundred golf courses in the country, just in baseball cities. Wow. And I've asked that question all the time and it's very difficult for me to answer because there are so many great ones. Yep. But the only thing I can say is the one that always comes back into my mind that I can't get out of is Oakmont. Mm-hmm. And Oakmont to me, um, you know, I've seen the whole change of them with the trees and without the trees. And um, it's just one of those courses where it's so difficult, but so challenging that I'm always trying to find a way to play my best round of golf there. But there's so many um, that the list for me is more of, is the course going to always be in good shape, you know, or is it only in good shape at special times? And I found myself seeing uh, Oakmont always in great shape for some reason.
2: You know, it's unbelievable with Oakmont. We've talked about this before, Chick, but the Pennsylvania Turnpike bisects the golf course. (laughs) And you would think that would just be a – that's game-changer – can't work. They're going to close a golf course whenever that was going to happen, and you don't even think about it. All you think about is Oakmont. When you're playing Oakmont, is you play number one, you cross the highway, you go play two through eight, you come mm-hmm. back across, and it's like it's just there. You don't even think. Well, that's weird. It's not even a weird thing. But when you think about it, that they originally there was not a turnpike there, and uh, it, it's just an iconic, great, great golf course and really hard. I mean, it's just they, every time you're there, when I played a couple of US Opens there, and the members say, you know, they slow them down for the USJ or the USJ slows them down for you guys. I go, well, I wouldn't want to play it any faster. <laughs> that was the yeah. response. Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah, I, it's crazy.
1: I, I played it, and I, did, I remember on one more one, the caddy said uh, on, the, on the approach shot, I uh, had 165, 170. He goes, I want you to hit a 125. I, I said, Excuse me? because I want you to hit a 125 i like, it's not that hard and fast. because just hit it 125. I'm telling you, hit 125. Boom, hit it up in the air. I never see it. It's It's gone. And he, he just says, wait for it. And I go, what? I said it three times. What? Wait for it. What? Wait for it. And then all of a sudden, here comes this ball out of nowhere, on the green, actually rolled to the back edge. I'm like... Oh, we're in trouble today. This is going to be a, yeah, Yeah, this is going to be, and you know, in the history of the, of that course, you know, you'll go into the clubhouse and you see the pencil stuck in the ceiling and the stories of all that. It's spectacular. Um, uh, funniest moment, John, in a, in a, in a huddle at the mound for you and funniest thing, something, somebody, a skipper said,
0: yeah, you know, I, I probably would have to go back to my triple eight, uh, my minor league days. Um, I had a um, kind of one of those veteran catchers that had been trying to bide some time before getting called back up and I was struggling and you know, it was my, I was new to the organization with Atlanta and he came out to the mound and told me a story. I can't really repeat. <laughs> and I was wondering why he was telling me this story and, and on going into all the details on this story and, then when he was done, of course, my mind was inquisitive and it was thinking everything but baseball. And he goes, "Good. Now I'll throw the next pitch." He just wanted to get my mind away from the That's game awesome. that was you know, was I was just so consumed with, and it did it worked. It, it I couldn't believe it. I didn't I didn't understand that that this might happen quite often. And then the only other time there was before Bobby was the manager. Um, My manager at the time was Russ Nixon, and we were having a hard time with the umpire. And matter of fact, um, my first catcher got thrown out. Oh. And my second catcher was about to get thrown out because he wasn't – I guess the umpire thought I was showing him up at first, and then the catcher was showing him up. Well, Russ came out and aired me out. I mean, he was screaming at me, but he wasn't screaming at me. He was screaming at the umpire. Mm -hmm. And it looked like he was screaming at me and I'm sitting there. I'm like, he goes, just stand here. And I stood there and he wore the umpire out. And of course the umpire threw him out. Um, And yeah, but there's been some, some unbelievable conversations. Uh, Bobby is notorious for his ejections. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you like Bobby, Bobby fought for his players. He got ejected more than any manager in the history of the game. He wouldn't let anybody pay for those fines we got him thrown out more than we should have based on b- balls and strikes. But his famous line, and umpires used to chuckle after a while, it would be the top of the first, and we, <laughs> we would be on the mound. And he didn't like a call. The call was, a you know, a, a ball or a strike, and he would yell both ways. <laughs> And someone would have to remind him, Bobby, we haven't even gotten to the bottom <laughs> of the first yet. <laughs> uh, he was a classic. Did you know Al Clark?
2: American League umpire, but...
0: I We didn't get a chance to see him as much before they, they started changing leagues, but I, I knew of him.
2: Well, he was, became a good friend of mine at the Anaheim's Bush back in the day. He stayed with the family I did, or knew the family, but he got into... He always actually got in trouble, I think, for uh, memorabilia that he got, but uh, with the IRS, he was selling her or whatever. But anyway, he's in a game. He tells the ball boy, he got three baseballs. You need to get Ken Griffey Jr. to sign these things. The game's getting ready to start. He goes to the ball boy. He said, did he sign it? He said, no, sir. He said, all right, I got this. So Ken Griffey comes up to the plate, and the first pitch is way outside. He goes, strike one. Second pitch, he's just shaking his head. Second pitch, it's outside again. Strike two. Ken's timeout. All right, Al, I'll sign the damn balls, okay? I'll sign the damn balls. <laughs> just give me a call. And, <laughs> and there was one other story with uh, he and uh, – they when Cal Ripken had his streak and they were yeah. uh, had a meeting, they said, we really need to get him a rest, and so we got to get him out of the game, just get him a rest. So they faked an argument in like the fourth inning, and he threw them out. But they're, the argument was they're face-to-face, and they're screaming at each other, where are you going to dinner? So I don't know. Where are you going to? Yeah. Do? I don't want to go there. And they're shaking and they're just pointing at each other. <laughs> and it says, "You're out." And then he was out. He got his like five inning rest during that streak. So there's little yeah. inside things that were there, and nice. uh, it, it was pretty funny to hear those little inside stuff. As far as the other pitchers, uh, who's the nastiest guy? I mean, would you would you go after a guy as far as on purposely hit him every now and then to back him up, or what would bring that on it?
0: Well, you know, back in um, the days that we played, there was, you know, self-policing within the game and and you understood how to do it. And doing it the right way was the most important thing. You never wanted to throw a ball anywhere close to a guy's shoulder or his head. And there was probably three or four occasions that I was, um, you know, kind of commanded to do something and had to hit a player because the other pitcher had hit a couple of our players. And usually that was the end of it. I never hit a guy because I couldn't get him out. I, don't, I never believed in that, and I knew the damage I could do to somebody, so I was always aware of where I was throwing the baseball. Unfortunately, in today's game, with the velocity the way yeah. it is, guys don't exactly know where the ball's going, and so when a ball gets loose out of their hand and it goes up near a guy's head, you start worrying about, you know, the damage that that can do. And so a game was – was when the game got out of hand and there were starting to become too many bean balls, it was because a lot of people didn't know how to do it right, and then they took that away from the actual competition because you can't just let some of your teammates get hit three and four times in a game without commanding the inside part of the plate, at least showing that you can. So it's totally different now and guys are wearing a lot of body armor, but I did get fined in kangaroo court for getting Hubie Brooks hot. And the reason I got fined is I was told to brush him back because Fernando Venezuela had, um, brushed one of our guys or hit one of our guys or, you know, I forget the, the the situation, but I brushed him back and he pointed a bat at me and he pointed at me. And then the next pitch, he hit a line drive over my head and he proceeded to get four hits that game. <laughs> so I got fined for getting a getting a guy hot for no reason. <laughs> um, but it happens. You no, know, It happened in our game. I got hit a few more times than I wanted to get hit. The one thing about the National League, if you're a pitcher and you're going to hit somebody – you know you got to stand in the box. Well, in the American League, it seemed like most of that stuff that was going on. The pitcher never had to face any – you know, he never got to get, get hit. Right. So he could just stand out there. I, I was never a fan of that. I was never a fan of someone who could just stand out on the mound and plunk people and know that there was no retribution going to be given to him and it's kind of a safe place. So, um, But the game has definitely, you know, changed in that regard.
1: When you say you were commanded to, you know, uh, get retribution, was that a a verbal command or was that a signal from the dugout?
0: Uh, Bobby was the best at making sure that, you know, um, he wanted the game played the right way. And he didn't want anybody going rogue. He didn't want you to do things on your own that you thought was – because it was a a reflection around him. And so it would be just, hey, hit the next guy that's up. Or this is the guy – and rarely did it happen, you know, under his watch. And, and we tried to keep things as professional and, and always did it in the right way because of, of him. So, yeah, we got in a couple ugly ones. Um, we got in a, a, a real ugly brawl with the Dodgers and, and Big Cat Galarraga. Uh, Darren Dryford had hit him and City was going to hit him again and, and did. And it was – you're talking about the most gentle – big guy you've ever seen in your life. And Andres Galarraga, well, he went after him and I don't know how Darren Dreifert got below. I mean, he went in into just, it was like a linebacker on a blitz. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that was, I remember that brawl being pretty, pretty significant. Probably the worst one was, was Otis Nixon in Philadelphia when, uh, he, he went up with a karate kick. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. that was an ugly brawl. Uh, Glavin had unfortunate duties of facing, Dale, Dale Murphy was with the, the Phillies at that time. And Dale's an icon, Atlanta, all time Atlanta Brave. One of them is my favorite player in the mm-hmm. world, uh, favorite person. And I don't think Bobby saw who was up next, but Bobby said, whoever's up next, you hit him." And it was Dale Murphy. And Dale knew what was going to happen. And it looked really worse than wow. it was because if you're trying to hit somebody and they know you're, you're trying to hit them, you'll never hit them. But if somebody doesn't know you're trying to hit them, they'll never be able to get out of right. the way. And he kept backing up before the pitch was pit throw. It looked awful. <laughs> it didn't come off very well. Right. So that would felt bad for Glavin. Cause if that was me, I would have been in a bad place trying to hit Dale Murphy.
1: Uh, one more question about the, the brawl. So if you're, I, it always intrigued me that when it became bench clearing brawls, the the guys out there in the bullpen are running onto the field. What are you thinking at this point? Like we're going to make this long run what are, we, yeah. what are we doing here?
0: Yeah, it's a bunch to do about nothing. You could almost just kind of have them just face each other right there from each <laughs> bullpen. I I, I um, I made the cover of Sports Illustrated, and it was, wasn't one of my finer moments, but I had gotten in a brawl after hitting a guy for the New York Mets, and he charged them out, and I got him in a headlock. We go down, but catcher was Charlie O'Brien. He pulled him out, and, you know, I'm at the bottom of the pile, and and it was a, a frustrating scenario to, be, to say the least, but there was a home run, a grand slam hit before this batter. And the uh, Ryan Thompson took forever to get around the bases oh. and I was fuming. And it was, it was a, a comedy of things that happened leading up to that. Bru- my, my good friend and teammate Ryan Klusko had made a few errors to get in that situation, play outfield. And so I just put my head down and I said, I'm not going to hit the next guy, but I'm buzzing the tower. I'm going to throw a ball inside. I'm going to say I did not appreciate, you know, the way that he went about hitting that grand slam. Well, John Cangelosi who stands two inches from the plate, was the next batter. And I'm telling you, I don't, I'm not even – I look up at the last minute to go deliver the pitch, and I throw it inside and hit him. Well, he charges the mound, which I couldn't believe, so I let go of the glove, and I'm ready. So we get in the brawl. We get down on the ground. We Everyone gets up. And Bobby Bonilla was a big man yeah. for the New York Mets. He started screaming that I should have hit Ryan Klesko because he's the one that got me into this mess. <laughs> 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 it actually was a funny line under the circumstances, but I suspended eight games, longest suspension ever given to a pitcher. And it was on the cover of Sports mm-hmm. Illustrated. And I didn't hit many guys in my entire career. I probably hit the fewest guys per inning. Mm-hmm. You know for 3,000, three thousand thirty three hundred innings or whatever I had um and that was one of them then it made the cover of sports Illustrated
2: I'm gonna turn it back a little bit uh to tiger uh your relationship with him has to be pretty special. Have you heard from him at all, or have you reached out to him I reached out to
0: him and he thanked me you know I just said man i'm I'm pulling for you um you know when you hear the news, you think about the worst mm-hmm. and um for Tiger and what he's done to golf and all the times that we were able to play, you know, I don't know if he'll ever get back and play, but I wouldn't bet against him. I don't know what kind of level he could get back to, but you know, he's, he's got a lot to give to golf still, if he never plays again. And um, just the, I know, you know, being on the course at the time when I, when I had heard about it, I was at Tucson playing in the Tucson national um, and, and, and heard, you know, at that time, that point, no one knew that, if he was going to walk away, if he was going to be able to, <clears throat> how he's going to survive it. So, yeah, I think the journey will be one of an interesting one that, that the motor inside of tiger is unlike any other motor I've ever seen in a competitive athlete, Michael Jordan, um, probably number one, if you want to go one, a tiger, if, you know, as far as the two guys that I've been around playing golf, um, it's just, ama- it's amazing to watch their the desire to be the greatest and, and, and let you know about it, which is pretty, pretty <laughs> awesome. Because you don't want to get in a trash-talking uh, no. competition with Michael Jordan or Tiger Woods. That's one thing you just don't want to do.
2: But the one thing he does like is if you trash him back.
0: Yes, he Absolutely. He loves that. He absolutely. He, he,
2: if you, yeah. you give into him, he's like, I'm not interested. But you, you right. start gaming with him, and he loves it. I remember whenever I got paired with Tiger, I thoroughly loved it because I loved the gallery, the atmosphere, but I loved watching Tiger play. Uh, he just Mm -hmm. could do things that were just amazing Uh, nobody could do Um, incredible guy I'm I'm a huge fan of Tiger and I still uh, you know always pray for him wishing him all the best but uh, that had to be so cool to be called by Tiger to go play Augusta which is in my mind a cathedral of golf it's 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 amazing It, it is the golf tournament that you know whether you've been there or not, you feel like you know the golf course because the coverage is so good. There's so much history, and Tiger not being a part of it this year just just it, it was missing. You could tell something was missing, and that something was Tiger. And uh, I hope he gets back. If anybody can come back from what he went through, uh, he's lucky to be alive. I still believe he can still do it. I, I always said a healthy Tiger is going to beat you, and he did. He won Zozo, won the Masters. Yeah. And uh he's something special. But uh I agree. He's he's uh got a lot to give back to the game. He already has uh done a lot. He's actually mellowed a lot. He's reached out to a lot of guys, yeah. he's become a mentor to Rory and Justin Thomas and on and on. And and we got a great crop of young guys, and they can actually all know now that you know this guy was really good, you know. <laughs> and then when yeah. he came back, he's he's still really good. And uh I, I'm glad they got to see that because I kept saying, be careful what you uh wish for. <laughs> if Tiger comes back yeah. healthy, you're not gonna be able to beat him. So uh he's something Well my, to-
0: my 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 favorite memory of course is is I think I'm the only one in the well, I was at the time the only one who's ever played with Annika and Tiger when they were both number yeah. one. And the uh, just to watch them practice was worth everything that you could imagine. I watched him go to the practice range. Tiger was enamored with the head action of of Mm -hmm. Annika and how straight she hit it. We played that day, and she was trying to get ready for an event, um, I believe in Memphis, where she was going to play on the PGA Tour. And she was nervous. Yeah, she was nervous, and we played from the same tees. And you talk about the trash talking. You know, I quietly behind the scenes said, Tiger, you know, I'm I'm gonna beat Annika. Okay. But just don't make a big deal about it. You know, we had our match, but I but I'm gonna beat her. And so he didn't say anything. You know, we had a, a friendly little wager and and we show should we all get there? They both pipe it right down the middle. And right before I'm getting ready to take it back, he goes, Hey, hey, he goes, I'll bet you right now that Annika beats you straight up. <laughs> I go, oh, okay. All right. Here we go. So, so I'm like, I get a little chuckle and, and, and it was the most intense round of golf I'd ever played at the time. I was so locked in and I ended up beating her. Okay. She had one bad hole and I didn't say a word. I didn't say a word to anybody. I was just like, that was my, that was my mm-hmm. moment. Well, she talked about it and she was great to play with. We played a few times. She is unbelievable. And she said something and then word got out and I got more, more notoriety for anything I did in baseball for beating Annika. More people were talking about me beating Annika than what I had done in baseball. Well, I'd like to say the story ends there, but the next time we played, she kicked both our butts and she was talking trash (laughs) and I loved every second of it. So uh, those two moments right there, when I watched them both, Go at the drive driving range the way they did, explaining what they were doing, showing each other what they were doing. It was, I just you can't, you can't imagine what that's like until you saw it.
2: I played with Tiger. I was at skins match. The, the, I'm now the official cross-dresser of the tour since I put the skirt on and lost the yes. bet. But yes. uh, not really official. It's not official. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, I get to play with Tiger. I got to play with Tiger and Annika in the in skins match. They're both number one. And it was just a phenomenal day. And then we had this bet with the skirt. And then on the third hole, she outdrove me. And Although i debating that, but I didn't take it to court. And, uh, and it just turned out to be a, a great, great day. But Annika's talent was unbelievable how good she is. And then I just heard she's playing women's open. Yes. I think the women's the open, senior women's open. Yeah. Senior human. Oh, I didn't know it was a senior. Human. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's not a fair
0: fight. No, when she, fight. <laughs> when she got to play, uh, she played a couple years ago at the uh, American century championship with us. Yep. You talk about a bunch of, a bunch of people worried about when she entered the field, you know, about what was going to happen to everyone's chances of winning, but the line of the year, was by her husband, who was caddying, and we were playing together in the first round. We were paired together, and uh, the head pro, you know, they were trying to get a feel for the course, and the head pro was saying, man, the greens this year are the best they've ever been, um, but you really got to watch out uh, for the rough, and he turned it around, he goes, Rough? She's never going to be in the rough one time. We don't care about the rough. <laughs> it was one of the funniest lines. And she never was, she was never in the rough. Of course
1: not. Yeah. She's, she's, uh, and, that, and that head move, I can see why Tiger would be intrigued by that because that head comes off as, as she takes off. Uh, with final moments here, we're going to extra innings here with the Hall of Fame pitcher, John Smoltz. How many strokes uh, does Woods uh, give you? Or does he?
0: We, uh, in our match, we had three different matches. We go three aside, two aside, one aside. And, you know, he would, would definitely always win the one aside. I would win the three-a-side. And it always came down to the 2 aside. And in the last hole, um, he basically um, loved the fact that it was always going to come down to a putt in the last hole. And either he was going to make it, which he did, or I was going to lip it out or miss it. And he would uh, smile at the end of the round. But we had so much fun. And it was competitive. Um, that was 100 years ago is when I really could hit it deep. Huh. Um, but, uh, I learned, you know, to really appreciate the game of golf, uh, live as opposed to, um, seeing it on TV.
1: Sure. sure. Uh, lastly, um, golf wise, what do you want to accomplish?
0: Um, I would like to get to the level where, uh, I could, I can play in tournaments, play with my buddies. Uh, what I mean by that is, uh, get more freed up. I, I still haven't gotten to the point where on the first tee, I feel like I'm freed up to play the kind of golf that I know I can play. And uh, I'm getting closer, but I'm, I'm not there yet.
2: I love hearing the inside stuff from the other sports, but then also here's passion for golf. And, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's great. John is such a great guy and, and fun to be around and, and, uh, really a, a true asset to our tour when you're out there, I believe. And, um, I, I just wish you all the best and hopefully I can keep playing for a couple more years and, and, uh, and we'll get paired. I thought we were going to get paired last week and we missed somehow on that last day. Um, I thought we were right there. And then I think somebody came in, I think uh, Wes West short came in with a low round and moved up and knocked me back yeah. or knocked you back or something. But anyway, I think you were in front of me or behind me and, um, uh, and that was, uh, Something I was looking forward to to play with you because I haven't played with you yet. I've seen you out there a bunch. And uh, one of these days. Yep, we will be the last group on the first tee at some (laughs) tournament. (laughs) That'd be great. That's right. (laughs) Not the last group on the 10th tee.
1: And, John, if, right. if you, we're two Maryland guys. If you're ever in this uh, area, we've got a bunch of courses uh, that are quite nice. We've got Caves, we've got TPC, Avenel. Yeah. If you're ever in the area, you got our numbers, um, and Fred will come up and play in a heartbeat. I'd love to heat up with you. Uh, but really, great. really appreciate your time. Uh, again, we went extra innings. I know your time is valuable, so we thank you very much, and uh, uh, good luck in the next tournament.
2: Thanks, John. I'll see you in a little bit. All righty. All right,
1: All right, that is John Smoltz, Hall of Fame pitcher, and Fred Funk. As we finish up here, we didn't even talk PJ Championship. So just give me a. Uh, it's it's Kiowa. Uh, it is setting up to be tough. Um, they are talking about playing this thing way back and and letting the wind do its deal. Uh, any, I know you you got your own thing you're worried about your own golf career, but any any guy that you're looking at and sneaking... I mean we've got some guys oh. that are hot. Sam Burns is hot. He got a win a couple weeks ago. Took second place last week. You got Rory coming off a of victory. Uh, anybody that's sticks out in your mind?
2: I'm I'm a Rory fan. Um, I like the fact that he played well, won, and then he's going back to Kiowa where he won big. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be interesting. But like you're saying, there's so many of these guys or are, are these young guys are having great weeks and you just never know when they're going to put it all together. But I've never played Kiowa. What? And I know, I know it's very, very difficult. I know it's windswept and it's brutally tough, Mm -hmm. uh, especially when it's windy. But, uh, I, I really would like to see, uh, I'd like to see Spieth and Rory. Wow. And uh, what's up with Dustin?
1: Dustin's there. He's, he's, he took a few weeks off. He's there. Took a few weeks off.
2: I mean, he's been super quiet here because he have not been playing. It's, it's going to be exciting. I think it's the golf course that shows well on TV. Um, I, I, look forward to this week i'll be watching some of that for sure
1: all right what's next for you
2: uh we're in a pro-am right now down in uh, biloxi uh that we usually have the rapid scan down here but the sponsors are because of covid this will be the second year in a row we're not having it and we're just trying to save it so we got 24 pros john Smoltz, one of them playing a pro-am with a bunch of the corporate guys and at the fallen oak really good golf course so we're doing that today and tomorrow, and then uh, I'm driving back to Houston to catch a plane to go to my golf course in Colorado for a day oh, and yes. a half. And then we got the Senior PGA next week, so we got our PGA at Southern Hills.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: hmm
2: So, so that'll be big. Like, I got better. better uh, what's that?
1: I, I said I, I didn't get a call to caddy for that one, so I'm just kind of kind of hurt, but that's fine. You know.
2: Well, whatever. You know. Well. We'll work on the counseling and then I think you got to train a little harder. I'm waiting for to see you get through and bring your boy through. Yeah. The U S open quality. There,
1: there are, there are at my club, manor country club. There are literally people making bets on what, not whether or not Alex Hoffman makes it to Tory pines, you make it, whether I you survive 36 holes on the bag. I think that's so mean. I don't, I think I'll be fine. <laughs> I think I'll be fine. I am in kind of training. I'm carrying my bag a little more. And uh, I guarantee I'm guaranteed to carry the bag for the first 18. There are the, there is a possibility of of a, of a a pull cart for the second 18. I'll see how I'm feeling. Uh, You'll
2: be fine. What I'm looking forward to is that you finish the caddying gig mm -hmm. at Woodmont. He makes it and he pulls you out to the U S open. Now you're going to be caddying seven days.
1: But now I'm See, getting nervous. Now
2: we'll have the over and under. Now we'll have the <laughs> over and under.
1: <laughs> oh God! So, now I just awesome. I think I just pooped myself. Thanks a lot, very much. <laughs> All right. Well, um, that's tremendous. That is tremendous. Yeah. I uh, June seventh uh, is the uh, sectional qualifier there uh, at Woodmont Country Club. You know the course, a North course, and uh, a lot favorite. of guys. Yep, right. A lot of guys go through there. Uh, by the way, I did tell Alex to listen to the last podcast for a message from Fred Funk, and he got me in the parking lot and he said, that was really cool. He goes, and I love the fact that the cream rises to the crop and 36 holes. You're know, I love thinking that way because he's a, he's a relatively conservative guy. And he goes, yeah. I like the fact that I can ease my way into a round. So he's going to take that thought, which is awesome.
2: Yeah, just stay patient. 36 holes is a long day. You just. Just let the game come to you that day. You don't have to go like balls to the wall for 18 holes. You got to right. go 36 and 36. you can recover from a bad stretch or you can separate yourself big time with a good stretch. And you're, you're at, you're just off and running.
1: I just hope he knows CPR. All right. That is Fred <laughs> Funk. <laughs> Let's- so mouse to mouth, huh? Uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> I said something. <laughs> Just bring a, I'm bringing an AED with me. So I got the defibrillator with me. So it's in my car. I'm all set there. What's well, it's terrible. Terrible. Uh, great uh, get on John Smoltz. Awesome. Uh, obviously, Hall of Fame pitcher. And like I said, going back to 1992, my start in Augusta. That was so cool to be able to chat with him about Uh, That moment, which was insane, white noise in the baseball stadium um, and that run. What I didn't tell him, and I'll tell you real quick, is that his owner, Ted Turner, threw the greatest parties of all time uh, in the Mm -hmm. postseason. And those those he had. I think we talked about this. They had a huge tent, a band on one end, a band on the other. And you could not hear the other band on the other end because it was that large Mm -hmm. with 10 big game and small game chefs cooking. Wow. And so you could get wild boar, you could get uh, your barbecue, everything, and a champagne tree in the middle, which is where I hung out a lot. That's uh, awesome. At, yeah, that's awesome. Um, and, and I got stuck wow. in the elevator with uh, Jane Fonda and Ted Turner once, and and uh, for forty minutes before a game. Wow! And I, I came out of there smelling like leather because <laughs> that's what she smelled like because she had all the leather on, and all I think. And he was wearing leather cologne i'm like i was getting bombarded I'm like man could somebody open a window oh it's an elevator i got no chance <laughs> all right uh that's uh, it for this week terps on the t he's fred funk i'm chick hernandez thanks for listening and just dealing with me